Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. On today's show, I'll be speaking with FC Tucson's head coach, Darren Sawatsky, captain and defender, Kyle Ventner, and attacker, Devin Jamga. Let's go to the interviews. with coach Darren Swatsky of FC Tucson, the head coach. Uh, FC Tucson coach is affiliated with Phoenix Rising, uh, a USL championship side. Because of that relationship, what do you have to do that might be different than some of the independent teams when thinking about uh, how you manage the team and how you uh, set up your team on a week-to-week basis? Uh, well, I would say that we're not dissimilar uh, to the MLS affiliates. Um, you know, the, uh, the Torontos, the Orlandos, the North Texas that are in our leagues, you know, they all serve a mothership, and, and, and we do as well. I think one of the advantages that we have, at least in year one, is, uh, you know, the players that we bring in um, have had an impact uh, with Phoenix Rising. We've had three guys uh, that were regulars for us go up, play, and start, and have actually stayed with Rising for the time being. So, you know, uh, we're in early days, but uh, we've had an opportunity to move guys up. Um, as opposed to a lot of times with MLS teams, they're moving guys down for games. So what kind of challenge does that present? Because instead of you getting a couple of maybe players that are going to be in, uh, you know, definitive starters when they come down from, say, the MLS side to to a two side, if you're going the other way, that means you have to fill those spots as well. So presumably performance matters too on on the field. So how do you fill those spots as players go up to, to rising? Well, the first thing that I would say is our, our most important um, job is to develop players for rising. Um, uh, the sooner, the better. So, you know, our job is to develop as many guys as we can, as quick as we can. The fact that a few guys have gone up and had success right away is huge. Uh, but as you said, you know, they're not going to take the bottom end of our roster. They're taking the top guys. So uh, we have a next man up mentality here. You know, we play and train the same way that Phoenix Rising does. Um, and, and the thing that we're very proud of is that, you know, uh, a few of the guys that have replaced the guys that have gone up um, are teenagers. You know, we got, you know, a, a 17-year-old goalkeeper. We got two 19-year-olds. We had a 20-year-old start uh, in, in, uh, in Madison. So we're, you know, we're going younger, but it isn't necessarily about being younger. It's just about uh, making sure guys are ready. Uh, but uh, it's very difficult. I don't believe that we have started the same 11 um, in any one game this year. So when you mentioned that you play the same style as Rising, how much interaction do you have on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis with the coaching staff and the technical staff over at Phoenix Rising? Uh, well, I think Rick Schantz and I probably burn more cell minutes than uh, than any regular <laughs> staff in the country. We're, we're on the phone regularly. You know, my assistant, John Gallus, who's very, very good, uh, you know, consistently talking to, to the staff um, um, with Rising. And, you know, we have – scheduled weekly calls, but the reality is we, we talk daily. I mean, it's, it's a constant interaction and a share of ideas, um, and we want, to, uh, we want to mirror what they do. They play a great brand, and they're doing very well right now. So what, you, you mentioned North Texas SC being in a similar situation as you, being, in a, being a two-team. Um, Eric Quill, their coach, mentioned on the Scuffed podcast this past week that, he, that Eric thought that the USL Championship and USL League One were of similar quality. Um, it doesn't, to, to me personally, it doesn't quite seem that way. It seems like League One is just, you know, maybe half a step below. You look at things like Open Cup performances of the independent teams in League One versus um, versus championship teams, and, and I would suggest that, you know, they're, they're 
that they're, everyone has seemed to be tiered correctly at the moment. Um, you know, what do you think about the quality of League One versus either Championship and also League Two, like where, where League One sits? You know, I get that question a lot, and, and here's what I would say. Um, you know, I, I ran the Founders Academy for seven years, so we competed a lot against Poppy and his teams down at Dallas. And, you know, I recognize some of those kids that have been in that program for, you know, I mean, it seems like a decade. You know, he, Eric's got this group of kids that have been together for a very long time, and they, they do an excellent job in Dallas with their player development system. So it's, it's really interesting when you look at that team in particular, because I think they're probably playing the best soccer of any of us right now. Uh, but the runway they had was, was long and incredible. You know, you have these kids that have just been part of a system for a long time. Um, as that relates to the USL championship, I think that that North Texas team right now uh, could probably plug in to the championship and they would win a lot of games. I really do. Um, it's not about age. It's about the time and the system and methodology and mentality that they have. Um, we'll get there. You know, our team, you know, we're four, four or five months into it and we're starting to really get our our brand, you know, out there, uh, you know, most of these standalone teams in the USL League One, um, they're brand new, you know, uh, hats off to Tormenta, um, you know, they, they had some guys from their PDL group in the past and, and to Richmond and stuff because they have some history, but for the most part, these teams are all brand new, so they didn't necessarily have the runway, so I think it's a little bit difficult to compare us to USL championships yet, um, but I got to be honest, I mean, half of my roster uh, came directly from the USL Championship. So I think you add a player here or there, um, and we're very competitive, very competitive to the middle to low end of the championship teams. So th- thanks very much for that. In thinking about you building your roster for this year, going from, uh, you, you know, I know you have some of your players from PDL as well, sim- not dissimilar to Tormenta, who brought you know, basically half the team back. But you also, you know, mixed in, like you mentioned, some other players from the USL Championship, and I'll be, we'll be talking to one of them in, uh, in, uh, in our next, uh, next interview. Tell me, how do you choose those few people to help you develop the younger guys who are coming through the pipeline? So, you know, you, you obviously want some leadership and some skill, but is there, is there particular qualities outside of just the, the footballing that you look for when you're getting those older players into your team? Because North Texas and, um, uh, and, and Orlando City B and TFC2, they're basically U23 teams. You have a few players you, who are over 23. Yeah, you know, again, you know, those teams had a, had a little bit different runway. You know, they, they might have younger players, but they, they've had a collective of guys together for a much longer period of time, uh, Dallas specifically. But in saying that, our job is to try to make sure that we develop professional players that can have an impact for Phoenix Rising and beyond. I mean, that's our number one goal. We're always trying to win. There's no question. We're as competitive as anybody, but that's our job. So when you look at the players you select, you know, this year, first year of SC Tucson, uh, we're allowed to grab a few uh, more older players, if you will, you know, guys into their 20s that are trying to make another run at the higher levels. Um, When we chose to pick them, one, we wanted, you know, character guys. And by that, I mean, guys that understood what it meant to be pro, uh, to fight for 10 months, 12 months a year, uh, understanding the grind, but also knowing that part of their job wasn't just to compete and be starters themselves, but to help the younger guys learn and grow to be professionals. And being a pro isn't just about being skillful and talented. Being a pro is taking care of yourself, understanding your role in the community, understanding your role within a group of people trying to, to come to a common end. And, you know, we have some guys here like Kyle Venter, 
you know, Paul Bjornison, guys that I have a history with that I've known, Andrew Wheeler. Um, they're unbelievable at that. They're, not only do they care about winning and doing well themselves within the group, they really want to help the, you know, Eric Bergens and Raheem Summersells grow because uh, they want the game to grow and they want our team to do well and perpetuate over time. That, that's great. Uh, let's get a little bit personal now. Uh, so let's talk about one of your most recent jobs uh, before you came here. So you were the, the coach, if I uh, don't get this incorrect, of the, uh, the Guam national team. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. And how how did that come about? How did you go from you know a Seattle guy wind up going to uh, to, to coaching um, to coaching the Guam national team? You know, I, it's funny you say the Seattle guy, and I, I find this with a lot of people. They tend to to pigeonhole you, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But you know, I'm a I was a journeyman pro. I lived all over the U.S. and the world, so I I got to meet a lot of people and and make a lot of friends, which is one of the glorious parts of being a coach in this game. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who is currently coaching um, um, overseas in, in Asia uh, named Gary White, you know, the Bahamas national team. He's, he's been around, and, and he had taken on Guam and, and, and helped him coach with some great success, and he had moved on to China to coach, um, and uh, they needed a coach to help them get through the EAFF um, and possible qualifying. So he called me up and said, look, you know, short notice, can you come, can, can you come take this on? So, you know, it was really the connection of, of taking care of relationships over a 20 year period of time. So what a great experience. Asia was very, very interesting. And you know, I got to spend time in Beijing and Hong Kong and, and Guam and uh, work with some great players. It was a cool experience for me. I guess given the geography, that might have been an interesting test for you to uh, get used to the travel, given how much FC Tucson has to travel, which is, by the way, twice as much as any other team in the league. Um, I wrote a story about that on uh, on the BGN.FM website uh, earlier this season. When when you think about travel, whether it's with a national team and and or with FC Tucson, how do you manage your players in that rigorous travel schedule? And and is there something special that you think you need to do when you take you know those long flights to Richmond or to to uh, to Orlando like you did recently? And and you know or for that matter from Guam going to the Middle East for for qualifying. You know it's that's it's a very interesting question, and, and we're still learning. You know I've been in the game for a long time, but. It, you know, one of the things that people have to understand, you know, we're doing this to try to be fiscally responsible as well. So it's not like you're getting on a one-way charter flight. You're, you know, we haven't had one direct flight yet. Everything is a connection. You know, I know most teams in our in our, in our our level do that. You know, you, you try to get there. You might be leaving at 4 o'clock in the morning and arriving at 10 o'clock at night at the destination because that's what it requires. So to your question specifically, you know, we work very hard on regeneration. Um you know, cryo, massage, pool workouts, all the different things that we can do, teaching these guys about nutrition and hydration um, and, you know, how to take care of their bodies, which is another really important piece of picking the right older players to have on your team. If you have guys that, that show what being a good professional is, you know, how to take care of your body, how to prepare yourself so that you can maximize your best ability to play in a game um, after all that travel, it's really, really important. If you have older guys that care only for themselves and, you know, making money and that type of stuff, these younger guys aren't going to learn as well. So we work very, very hard at, at making sure that we help them be the best that they can be. Um, you know, this past week we played in Orlando on a Wednesday, you know, we traveled to Madison and, you know, our flight gets delayed and we're sprinting through an airport in Chicago trying to make our connector to get to Madison 
you know, it, it makes the, the one day that you actually have on the road to have training, it really becomes a, you know, you have to be very smart in how you train them and take care of them because, you know, you got to try to get the most out of the game on the Saturday after the Wednesday. So I'd imagine like that when you only have that one training day in between matches and do you tend, does that tend to be much more of a tactical? Here's what we expect from our opponent. And here's, you know, the, the two or three little things that we'll might adjust for that game. Or is it just more of a, you know, Hey, let's warm up, let's stretch, you know, is it more physical or is it a little bit more tactical and mental? Um, that was a bunch of questions. I'll try to answer them in a row. I'll say this. Um, if you train correctly through your preseason and the first few months of your season, the guys know what the expectations are. Um, the majority of what you do on the road for me is related to your opponent and what you want to try to get out of the game. So there's always a physical component. You got to make sure that your body's prepared, uh, depending on the travel and where you're at. Uh, you may train more, you may train less. You know, there are times that, uh, we'll play two and touch football or we'll play soccer tennis or we'll jump in the pool and, and have the guys enjoy it because mentally that's what they need more than the physical or tactical piece. Um, as professionals, everything is always tactical. You're watching film, you're meeting with players, you're talking about how the other team plays as opposed to what you want to impose on them. Um, and, you know, I think our guys have reacted really, really well. So I think it really depends on where you're going and what you're doing. Uh, but as long as the expectation is set correctly in the beginning, uh, from the very beginning of your season, I think the guys know exactly what you want. So uh, I have two more quick questions. One is you've played all over the U.S. during your career. You alluded to that earlier in our in our discussion. What was your favorite memory of your professional playing career? And regardless of you know where it was, what level it was, was there is there one thing that just sticks out that makes you either chuckle or or you remember fondly during your uh, during your playing career? Oh, I have a lot of stories, <laughs> but what, uh, there, there's two that stand out. Um, when I was uh, at the University of Portland and I was finishing up, I was playing on a uh, USISL team at the time called the Cascade Surge, and uh, we'd flown uh, Unam Pumas up to play an exhibition game, and in the first five minutes of the game, I smashed, uh, very first pro game ever, I smashed the ball in the upper corner past Jorge Campos, and we were up 1-0 at halftime, and we were just a bunch of college kids. And uh, it was just, it was like a, it was like an opening moment. It actually got me invited to Mexico in preseason in Uman, which started my real pro career. Um, the second one was, was the 1996 season in MLS. You know, July 20th, we played uh, um, DC United. I was playing for New England Revolution, and it was the first whole ESPN televised game of the season. You know, it's, it was a brand new league. And, uh, I scored two goals. We won 2-0. And I think that pretty much every human being on the planet that knew me watched the game. So it was like, it was a, it was a validation of a lot of hard work and, and stuff. It was, it was just a really crazy opportunity. And, you know, MLS back then was very similar to what we're doing right now in USL as well. That's great. Last question. Talk to me about your transition from player to coach. You were coaching, I know, a little bit while you were uh, still playing, but then you transitioned as an assistant coach. Um, talk to me about that transition from, uh, you know, player and coach to just assistant coach and then to, to head coach. Um, well, I played for a coach in college named Clyde Charles, who's a legend. And, uh, you know, he taught me all about making sure that you took care of the things you could take care of, you know, control the controllables, you know, and, and uh, as I was, you know, getting into my career, I knew that I was probably uh, headed the coach route because I loved the game so much. 
So I, as as I was progressing as a pro, I made sure I went after my coaching licenses because it's difficult if you retire from being a pro and then decide to go get licensing. It takes a long time, you know. And and, and credit to 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 our country and and you know just learning and growing. You you have to be certified to be a coach now. And you, you know you, if you do it while you're a player, it's a heck of a lot easier to work and grow. And I was really lucky to work with Brian Smetzer in Seattle. You know, he, he helped me a lot as an assistant pro coach, you know, and we won the USL championship in 07. I just remember picking his brain every single day, uh, along with Jimmy Gabriel, who was there. And, you know, when you're, when you're young and, and you really want to coach, you think you're ready to be a head coach and you're ready to lead. And what I think a lot of coaches don't know is that most of what you do as a, as a professional coach assistant and head is you're managing people. It's a, it's no different than, than managing an office building or a, you know, I, I don't know, whatever jobs where you have to, to work with people, you have to really understand people and how they tick. And in order to maximize the best you get out of them, you have to know how to, to do that. The tactics and all that is the fun part. Uh, the rest of it is really just managing humans. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Coach. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ira. That's Coach Darren Sawatsky, of, uh, the head coach of FC Tucson. Tucson captain, a Colorado native and five-year professional footballer, defender Kyle Ventner. Kyle, talk to me a little bit about how you found your way out to Tucson. Um, it's not particularly close to your last club, which was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, um, you know, soccer's a small world, and um, through my representation, um, they uh, they were very close with with Darren, um, and honestly, it took about one phone call with Darren, and and uh, it seemed like a, a pretty easy decision and a pretty easy match. Um, he wanted to work with me. I wanted to work with him, um, and, yeah, it was pretty easy, actually. Uh, so not only did you join the team, but your, uh, your captain, where the captain's armband, um, how does one become a, a captain of a professional team? You know, that's something that I think – you know, a lot of people want to know, is it, is it a personality thing you think? Is it, you know, the coach's decision? Do you think that there's some other players who say, Hey, this guy would be pretty good. Like we'd, we'd follow him on the pitch. What, what's the kind of the progression to become captain? Um, I think it starts with just the way, the way you go about your business. Um, you know, you have different types of leaders. Um, to me, captain is a, is a label. Um, it's, it, it is what you said. It's an armband. And, and I don't, mean to downplay it at all because it's an, it's an extreme honor to, to be able to wear it. Um, but I look at it more as leadership rather than just the, the label of captain. And so that's what I mean by um, it's by the way you just kind of go about your day, the, the way you do things, the the character in which you show and, and, and maybe how you help your teammates, how do you um, empower your teammates. And, and so um, I'm working on that every single day, but it, it's extremely humbling to know that, you know, I have the support of my my club, my, my coaches, my teammates, you know, everybody involved. So, um, I don't take it lightly. Um, and I take a lot, a lot of responsibility with that. So I, I don't want to embarrass you, but out of curiosity, do you know, besides the coin toss, the one official duty that a captain has within the laws of the game? I only know this because I'm a referee as well. Um, 
other than my responsibility to try to keep my team in line, no, I, yeah. I, I can't say that I do. The, the only other thing, believe it or not, that a that a captain's responsibility is is to tell the uh, the referee the order of penalty kick takers during knockout competitions. That's the only other official duty that's actually in the laws of the game. Um, that is news to me. So that is uh, that's one of those that's one of those new things you learn every day kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I also I, some people call me the soccer nerd, and I know all of this trivia that I probably shouldn't. But anyway, uh, let's talk a little. So so FC Tucson's a little bit different. I just talked to I just talked to coach, and one of the things that you know being a two team. But the only two team of a championship side is a little bit different. So you you keep on getting players sent up to uh, Phoenix Rising, which you know MLS two teams that happens to as well. But you 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 know the other way is not as common. Um, you know, getting players from other teams. How do you how does how is it playing for a team that has a lot of you know kind of inter uh, inter season rotation where people move in and out of the squad regularly is that is that significantly different than some other teams that you've been on like Penn like Penn FC or or some others? Yeah, I mean it's an extremely different um, kind of what if you want to say um, element to everything. You know you. Not to say that you don't know who you're going to have week in and week out, but you know our our relationship, you know, upwards and downwards is pretty fluid, um, and so um, I guess it goes to the culture of the club um, coming from Rising, and in the sense of um, you know we try to play the way they are they are, and you know try to emulate that so that if you do have players come up and down, you can kind of plug in whoever you need to, wherever you need to, and it should be pretty fluid um, whether you're going up or coming down. So um, I think there's an advantage there um, being able to, to rely on each other, um, have, a, have a kind of a, a one-club mentality that, you know, we try to help them. Any guys that go up, try to help them get points. Any guys that come down, try to help us get wins and points. And hopefully by the end of the year, if everybody's doing their job right, um, we're both competing for championships. Um, but it's it's definitely a different environment um, that I've kind of been in probably since my first year with the Galaxy out of college when, when really they started the first kind of like MLS2 teams. Um, and that was still very experimental at the time. So this is, uh, this is still experimental, but just because it is a championship squad and a League One squad, but um, it's exciting at the same time and it's a challenge every week. Um, you know, can we be at our best no matter if you're, with rising or with, or with two, FC Tucson, um, no matter who's on the field. So, so let's get a little bit into play. So, do, do you consider yourself? You know, I'm trying to figure out where you consider yourself, what position you you tend to play, because you guys play a back three, if if uh, um, if I'm not incorrect. And you know, at the same time, in, in other systems, you played in a back four as, as a center back. Now you're kind of a, a right center back in a in a back three. Um, how, how has the adjustment been? going from, you know, different systems over the course of your, uh, your career? Um, you know, regardless of a, uh, a formation that you, that you play, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I have an opinion of formations and it, it really is just kind of a starting point. Um, soccer is a very fluid game. It's constantly changing. Um, so with the 10 players plus the keeper that you have, I'm not sure very many times in a game where you're, you're in that typical formation. I, like I said, I think it fluidly changes. So, um, whether you're in the back, the midfield, um, I think that, that goes to your ability to, to be a good soccer player in the sense of, can you contribute and are you comfortable, 
in different roles and different things like that. So, you know, I've had the opportunity throughout my career to play in back four systems, back fives, if you will, back threes, if you will. Um, and I just, I find it very comfortable no matter where I'm at, um, being comfortable off both feet. Um, and then just knowing my role and, and the roles of my teammates, um, so that I can help them and elevate them so that our team can be the best that we can be. Um, I think that, that, that marks an intelligent player and, and, and a leader um, when you're so comfortable in your role that you're able to help other guys get to where they need to be um, so that the team can function at, at, at peak performance if, uh, if everybody's clicking over right. So given, given that fluidity in, in football, which you know, we all know happens and, and, um, and, and certainly is a, one of the hallmarks of, of football and to only a few other sports like basketball and hockey perhaps, you know, there has to be a lot of communication um, and, or, and soccer IQ between everyone, and, um, you know, maybe intuition and, and understanding between the players. How much do you practice that interplay and the communication of, you know, when to switch, you know, I'm going, you know, who, who are you going to mark if you're on, uh, in, on defense? Um, and, and particularly in those transition moments, right? So transitioning to attack or transitioning to, uh, to, to defense, because I would imagine that those are the times when th- that communication, particularly as one of, the, um, one of the defensive stalwarts, you really have to, uh, have to be cognizant of. Yeah, to me, it's an everyday thing. Um... You know, communication is a huge part of my game, um, and it's it doesn't necessarily it doesn't take a day off in in that sense. Um, you know, whether you're you know on the sideline on the field, for me, it never as a, a good team the, the the teams that that I've either played against that have been the best opponents that I've played against or the teams that I've been a part of um, are the teams that communicate the most. I mean, communication can solve so many issues, and you can stop things early. You can take advantage of things. You can, you know, what have you. If your communication's on point, um, you can make the game rather simple simply by talking to your teammates and, and, like I said, sniffing out things before they happen or helping somebody or, you know, whatever the situation may call for. So I think communication is one of the biggest things in soccer and in any sport, really. Um, you know, so I take a lot of pride in, in being able to, to bring that to the team, to be honest. Yeah, I like listening to you against the OCB because the nice thing is when there's not that many people in the stadium, you can hear everything that the coaches are saying and a lot of the players are saying. So it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up. Um, so, so there is an upside to not having a lot of fans in the, in the stadium from a, uh, from a viewer standpoint, at least. Um, so, Kyle, you have a history of being very dangerous on set pieces. In fact, you had six goals last year in the USL Championship. You have two goals this season, including both of them this past week including that great left-footed volley against OCB uh, and also your headed goal against Madison this week, which, you know, unfortunately didn't, didn't help you guys rise to, uh, to get a point out of that match. But how much do you practice finishing? I mean, generally, you know, you're a, de- you're a defender, right? You're listed as a defender. You generally start in the back. But, you know, you, you seem to have this, this knack for finding, uh, for, for finishing, even, even not just with your head like a lot of other uh, folks in the back line who go up for set pieces do. Yeah, um, you know, it's been it's been a part of my game. Um, I would say really since college and and what all kind of en- encompasses it is you know, you I trust no matter who's out serving the ball or however the ball is going to get into the box, trust the ability of your teammate to get it to the right spot. And then every team that I've been a part of 
um, the most effective set pieces that we have is, is simply that, you know, we have certain areas that each, each guy has to hit and, you know, different coaches like it, you know, differently based on statistics where the ball falls or whatever. Um, but it comes down to basically everyone getting to their spots and then trusting that the service is going to get there. Um, you know, I used to hear a story, um, being from Denver is when Peyton Manning first came to the Broncos and, um, they talked to the receivers and they asked, is there, you know, is there anything different? And they're basically saying, you can't take a playoff. You have to run every route at a hundred percent. Like the ball is going to come to you because if you run a route at 80% and the ball gets to where it's supposed to be and you're not there, then you're in trouble. Well, I think you can look at set pieces the exact same way. If you take a playoff and you only try to get to wherever you're supposed to get to at 60, 70%, and then you're a step off and you could have got across somebody or, or challenged for a ball. Well, that's a missed opportunity. So I think, our team and myself take a lot of pride in getting to our spots and, and doing what the coaches ask for us. And then um, our teammates do a great job of serving the ball in. So um, I think we're a, we're a net positive on set pieces right now, which we take a lot of pride on. Um, and I just happen to be the, uh, the benefactor of a couple uh, this weekend. So it could be any one of us. We get into great areas and we have great attacking threats. Um, and so I was just doing whatever I could to, to help the team, it, you know, was able to help on Wednesday and, and then uh, on Saturday in Madison, we just fell a little bit short. How much work do you do by yourself after practice? So you have your formal training with the team and the, and the coach, but how much training do you do beyond that? Obviously you have recovery time and you do, you know, things to keep your body fit as, as fit as possible um, off the pitch, but you know, things like touches on the ball or, you know, just watching, watching games, like how much of that do you do outside of the formal, um, the, the, the formal training with the team? Um, well, as far as like reading and, and, and watching film of whoever we're going to play or other teams, I do a lot of that. Um, I would say that that takes up a majority of my time, um, off the field. Um, uh, you can use the cliche of like a student of the game kind of thing, but, um, I, I just, whatever I get lost in it and I like to do it I like watching film I like being well prepared I like watching our uh, older games seeing what we can do better what we did well um you know reading about things and then as far as physically um each week has its own kind of rhythm and flow depending on when we have games and stuff like that um you know if I feel like I need to something doesn't feel right during the week or um you know if I think there's going to be something in a game that you know, if I do or I can take advantage of, then then I'll work on it. Um, our coaches do a great job of a couple weeks or a couple days during the week giving us uh, what they call pro time. And so what that is is if you need to work on something or you feel like there's something you need to get better at or whatever, um, that's on you. They'll give you 10 minutes or so if you want to hit crosses for the attacking guys, if you want to attack set pieces, myself, the forwards, um, defenders clearing balls, whatever you have, um, it's on you. So they definitely call it pro time because – to be a good pro you got to know your body you got to know what you need um going into the game going through the week so um yeah i mean it, it just kind of depends but i would say a majority of my time is is watching film it's the cerebral part of the game um being well prepared and, and continuing to learn that's great thank you very much that's fc tucson captain kyle venter i appreciate it thank you for having me Now I'm 
here with FC Tucson left-sided attacker Devin Jamga. He's uh, from Zimbabwe originally, but he played for the Portland Timbers 2 last season in the USL Championship, and he played his college ball at Southern Illinois. Uh, he leads FC Tucson with three goals and was also the USL League 1 Week 9 Player of the Week. Devin, thanks very much for joining. Thank you for having me. So how did you end up out in Portland after college? Uh, was it just, you know, let, let me know how you ended up on T2. Uh, basically, as my season finished, I realized that I, I might not get invited to MLS Combine. And I was kind of uh, scurrying around trying to see if I was going to get drafted anywhere. And then uh, my coach, I used to uh, coach the head coach for uh, Timbers 2, Cameron Knowles, back when he was in college. So he asked him if uh, they were in need of any attackers and send them my highlight tape. And then they brought me out there for preseason with about 20 or 30 other guys. And then I managed to be one of the few that they that they signed. And then I was out there for the remainder of the year. So obviously great experience. And, you know, how did your move then to FC Tucson this season? How did that occur? Yeah, so um, basically me and the, and the Timbers didn't really see, see eye to eye. And I decided to go a, a different way. And... Uh, then I was basically going on trial to a, a couple of different teams to see what, what their setups were. And then I reached a dead end. And then I reached out to one of my teammates, Austin Ledbetter, who's on FC Tucson, but is up with uh, Phoenix Rising right now. He played in college with me. And I asked him what it was like uh, over in Tucson because he had already signed down here. And he, he said uh, he said the setup was great, liked the coach, liked, liked the atmosphere. So... He told me to come down and see, and then I, I spoke to Darren on the phone, and he said that they would have me in uh, to train and see if they like me, and then uh, ended up signing after that. So, yeah, obviously it's a new professional team and a new professional league. Uh, what do you think, you know, how do, how do you think the relationship is between you guys as a new team and the and the first team? You know, the, the relationship between, call it the senior team and, and, you know, the, I don't want to call you reserves because you're, you're, you know, your your own professional team, but your, you know, your relationship basically with guys going up and down, like, you know, like Mr. Ledbetter, for example. Yeah, we, we kind of refer to Phoenix as a parent club. Uh, and I think the relationship is good. I think uh, at the beginning, uh, we were all trying to figure out which players fit, fit where and stuff like that. So there wasn't much movement. But uh, Austin was, I think, the first one to go up there. And then uh, he was there for, for a little bit and played in a couple games. And then after that, they uh, he, he got to come back, back down here for a little while. And then they, they sent some of our guys back up there. But now I think there's there's three of our guys up there, which is I mean it's good for the club to see that that there is movement and there is an opportunity for you to show that uh, you can play in a in a higher league. So uh, people like Andrew, Kyle, and uh, Austin are up there right now, getting a chance to one represent Tucson in the higher league, and uh, two just show show Phoenix that uh, that there there's some quality down here that that can help them in their campaign in the USL Championship. So what do you think you have to do as an attacker to get noticed? Because one of the things that Phoenix does very well in general is attack, right? So is, you know, what do you have to do um, as far as your role in the team, making sure, I mean, you're the leading scorer on the team right now, um, but do you, do you think that there's individual things that they've either told you you need to improve on or things that, you know, you know you need to improve on maybe to make, take that next step? 
yeah, for sure. There's always things that uh, that I see in myself that I I feel like I need to improve on before before I make I make a leap and I'm trying to do things to try to limit some of uh, some of my faults on the field and stuff like that. But uh, as an attacker, it's it's more of a numbers game than uh, than some of the other positions. Like if I get more goals, more assists, then that catches the eye of the, the staff up in Phoenix more. Uh, whereas like a defender, they'd have to watch a little bit of film and uh, see different things like how, how they read the play, their body positioning and stuff like that. So if if I'm able to, to get like a lot more goals, then that would definitely open their eyes to, to me uh, personally. So this is something I talked about a little bit with Coach, but I, I'd like to get it from the player perspective. Talk to me about travel. So FC Tucson is uh, travels twice as far as any other uh, team this season in USL League One. So talk to me about how you prepare yourself and how you recover from that travel, uh, particularly when you're going uh, when you're going to and from matches, like going from Tucson to Orlando, Orlando to Madison, and Madison back to Tucson. Yeah, we, um, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we kind of decided to own uh, the fact that we're traveling a lot, and a lot of people might see that as a disadvantage, but um, if we're looked at as underdogs, that always plays that always plays into our hands, and uh, we kind of have a, we have a little routine that we go through after we travel. No matter what time we get to the hotel, we do a pool regen to get all of the, like, flush all the toxins out of our legs from the flight. Uh, and then the next morning we usually go on, on a walk or do some sort of activity just to get the, the legs moving. And then when it comes around game time, we don't really feel uh, the effects of the travel quite as much as if we just uh, flew into a place and just uh, went straight to bed. So I think little things like that uh, limit injuries on our team and also keep us fresh. In the Madison game, you wouldn't be able to tell that we traveled from one end of the country, one end of the country to the other. Uh, based on how much we were running in comparison to the to the home team, so I think that speaks volumes for uh, for what we do on the road to stay prepared for matches. So, last question: You were on the bench for the Madison game, Devin, and you know when you're on the sideline, you know, firstly, why were you on the sideline, and secondly, what do you think about when you're watching, getting ready, because you might be called on to go into the game. The coach might say, "Hey, we're chasing this game. We need a goal. Go out there for the last 20 or 30 minutes and uh, and and get a goal." So, what are you thinking about and preparing yourself mentally uh, to be able to do that? Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was on the side for that game just. Because my hamstring was feeling was feeling off, it felt a little tight, and it was it was bothering me. So I let the coach know. Um, but obviously, we have guys on the bench that are more than capable of, of stepping in and, and doing the job. And when I'm on the sideline, I'm basically watching to see, um, since I'm a left-sided player, what the the right back and the right center back, what their tendencies are, uh, like what attributes they are, if they're good passers of the ball. If they're not very comfortable on the ball, maybe I'll try and press harder. If they're slow, when I get the when I get the ball, I'm gonna try to run at them as much as possible because if I did come on in that game, it would have been it would have been later and they would have been uh, more fatigued than than I. So uh, that's basically what I watch for on the side, and then I mean I also take a look over at the right side because I can play there as well and, and see. But I just basically assess the back four and then just look for spaces that I I can try and get the ball in that maybe. Uh, we haven't been capitalizing on quite as much. That's great. Well, thank you very much. That's FC Tucson's left-sided attacker, Devin Jamga.
thanks very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for other great soccer podcasts and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for you or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. League One Fun goes live Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. We hope that you'll join us on the YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us and follow us on Twitter at, at League One. That's the number one fun.